Chapter One of At the Foot of the Rainbow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. At the Foot of the Rainbow by Gene Stratton Porter. The Rat Catchers of the Wabash. Hey, you sweet scented little hot woman cried jimmy malone as he lifted his tenth trap waded with a struggling muskrat from the wabash varmint ye may be to all the rest of creation but ye mean a night at cases to me jimmy whistled softly as he reset the trap for the moment he forgot that he was five miles from home that it was a mile farther to the end of his line at the lower curve of horseshoe bend that his feet and fingers were almost freezing and that every rat of the tin now in the bag on his back had made him thirstier. He shivered as the cold wind sweeping the curves of the river struck him, but when an unusually heavy gust dropped the ice and snow from a branch above him on the back of his head, he laughed as he ducked and cried, "'Keep ye snowballin' to the firth of Gilet, will ye?' "'Chick-a-dee-dee-dee,' remarked a tiny gray bird on the tree above him. Jimmy glanced up. "'Chicky, chicky, chicky,' he said. I can't tell by your dress whether you're a hen or a rooster, but I can tell by your employment that you are working for grub. Have to hustle lively for every grub you find, don't you, Chicky? Now me, I'm hustling lively for a drink. And I'll be dumb if it seems necessary, with the whole river of drinking stuff flowing right under my feet. But the old Wabash ain't running wine and milk and honey, not by the jugful. It seems to be compounded of equal parts of mud, crude oil, and rainwater. If it was only running Melwood, big horror, chicky, you'd see a mermaid named Jimmy Malone sitting on the kingfisher stump, combing his auburn hair with the breeze and scooping whiskey down its gullet with its fin tail. No, hold on, chicky, you wouldn't either. I'm too flat-chisted for a mermaid, and I'll have nay time to lave off gurglin' for the hair-combin' act, which, chicky, to me notion, is as essential to a mermaid as the curves. I'll be a sucker, the biggest sucker in the gar-hole, chicky bird. I'll be an all-day sucker, big gobs, yes, and all-night sucker, too. Come to think of it, chicky, be dumb if I'd be a sucker at all. Look at the mouse at him, puckered up with a drawstring. Oh, hell on the Wabash, Chicky. Think of Jimmy Malone, lying at the bottom of the river, flowing with Melwood and a puckering string mouth. Wouldn't that break the heart of you? I know what I'd be. I'd be the black bass of Horseshoe Bend, Chicky, and I'd locate just below the shoals a-heading upstream, and I'd hold me mouth wide open till I paralyzed me jaws so that I couldn't shut them. I just let the pure stuff wash over me gills. Constant, word without end. Goodbye, chicky. Hope you got your grub, and pretty soon I'll have enough to drink to make me feel like I was the bass for one night anyway. Jimmy hurried to his next trap, which was empty, but the one after that contained a rat, and there were footprints in the snow. That's where the parachard of the Scotchman's comes in, said Jimmy, as he held up the rat by one foot and gave it a sharp rap over the head with the trap to make sure it was dead. Danny could no more hear a rat fast in one of me traps and not come over and put it out of its misery than he could dance a hornpipe, and him only second hand from hornpipe land too. 
but his feet's like lead, poor Danny. He gets just about half the rats I do. He never did have luck. Jimmy's gay face clouded for an instant. The twinkle faded from his eyes, and a look of unrest swept into them. He muttered something, and, catching up his bag, shoved in the rat. As he reset the trap, a big crow dropped from branch to branch on a sycamore above him, and his back scarcely was turned before it alighted on the ice and ravenously picked at three drops of blood purpling there. Away down the ice-sheeted river led Danny's trail, showing plainly across the snow-blanket. The wind raved through the trees and around the curves of the river. The dark earth of the banks, peeping from under overhanging ice and snow, looked like the entrance to deep, mysterious caves. Jimmy's superstitious soul readily peopled them with goblins and devils. He shuddered, and began to talk aloud to cheer himself. Eleven muskrat skins, times fifteen cents apiece, one dollar sixty-five. That will buy more than I can hold, Hagini. Won't I be taking one long, fine gurgle of the pure stuff? And there's the boys. I might do the grand for once. One on me for a house, and I might be back something on me back score. But first I'll drink till I swell like a poisoned pup. And I ought to get married that milk pail she's been kicking for this last month. Women and cows always a-kicking. If the blasted cow hadn't kicked a hole in the pail, there'd be no need of Mary kicking for a new one. But though is dubious soaring, Mary says it's bad enough on the dishpan. But it positively ain't healthy about the milk pail, and she is right. We ought to have a new pail. I guess I'll get it first, and fill up on what's left. One for a quarter will do, and I've several traps yet. I may get a few more rats. The virtuous resolve to buy a milk pail before he quenched the thirst which burned him so elated Jimmy with good opinion of himself that he began whistling gaily as he strode toward his next trap, and by that token Danny McNoon, resetting an empty trap a quarter of a mile below, knew that Jimmy was coming, and that, as usual, luck was with him. Catching his blood and water-dripping bag, Danny dodged a rotten branch that came crashing down under the weight of its icy load, and stepping out on the river he pulled on his patched wool linen mittens as he waited for Jimmy. "'How many, Danny?' called Jimmy from afar. Seven, answered Danny. "'What for ye?' Eleven,' replied Jimmy with a bit of unconscious swagger. "'I'm having poor luck to-day.' "'How money would satisfy ye?' asked Danny sarcastically. I ain't got time to figure out, answered Jimmy, working in a double shuffle as he walked. Thrash you round a little, Danny. It will warm you up. I'm no cold, answered Danny. The cold, imitated Jimmy. No cold. Come to observe you closer. I do detect symptoms of sunstroke in the redness of your face and the whiteness about your mouth, but the frost on your neck scarf and the icicles festooned on the tail of your coat tell a different story. Denny, you remind me the baptism of Peacock's last winter. Pete's nothing but skin and bone, and he'd never had a square meal in his life to warm him. It took pushing and pulling to get him into the water, and the scum froze over while he was under. Pete came up shaken like the feeder on a thrashing machine, and when he could speak at all, "'Bless Jesus,' he says, "'I'm just as warm as I want to be.' So are you, Denny, but there's difference on how warm folks want to be. For myself now, I could easily bear more heat. It's honest. I'm not cold, 
insisted Danny, and he might have added that if Jimmy would not fill his system with Casey's poisons, that degree of cold would not chill and pinch him either. But being Danny, he neither thought it nor said it. "'Why, I'm frozen to me soul!' cried Jimmy, as he changed the rat-bag to his other hand and beat the empty one against his leg. "'Say, Denny, where do you think the kingfisher is winterin'? "'And the black bass,' answered Danny. "'Where do you suppose the black bass is new?' "'Strange you should mention the black bass,' said Jimmy. "'I was just having a little talk about him with a friend of mine named Chicky Dom, "'no, Chicky D, who works a grubstick back there. "'The bass might be lying in the river-bed right under our feet. "'Don't you remember the time when I put on three big cutworms "'and skittered them beyond the log that lays across here, "'and he leapt from the water till we both saw him the best we ever did, "'and nothing but my old rotten lion ever saved him?' or he might be where it slumps off, just below the kingfisher stump. But I know where he is all right. He's down in the gar-hole. He'll come back here sporting time, and chase minnows when the kingfisher comes home. But, Danny, where the nation do you suppose the kingfisher is? Not so far away as you might think, replied Danny. Doc Hughes told me that coming on the train for Indianapolis on the 15th of December, he saw one fly across a little pond just below Winchester. I believe they go south slowly, as the cold drives them, and stop near as they can find good fishing. Dinner that stump looked lonely without him. Ain't sound lonely without the bass slashing around. I'm going to have that bass this summer, if I don't do a thing but fish, vowed Jimmy. I'll surely have a try at him, answered Danny with a twinkle in his gray eyes. "'and our reputation for taking good fish is ahead of anyone on the river, "'except the kingfisher. "'Why the devil did not want us haul out that bass? "'Ain't I just told you that I'm going to hook him this summer?' shivered Jimmy. "'Then all ye hear me mention I intended to take a tie at him myself?' questioned Danny. "'Have ye forgotten I know how to fish?' "'Nuff breathe today without startin' the highlander,' interposed Jimmy hastily. I believe I hear a rat in my next trap. It will make me twelve, and it's good and glad of it I am, for I've got to walk to town when my line is reset. There's something Mary wants. If Mary wants you to go to town, why don't you leave me to finish your traps and start now? asked Danny. It's getting dark. If ye are so late you cannot see the drifts, you never can cut across the fields, for a snow is piled waist high, and it's a mile farther by the road. I get the skins me rats first. Or I'll be having to ask credit again, replied Jimmy. That's easy, answered Danny. Turn your rats over to me, Rick New. I'll give you market price for them in cash. But the skinning of them, objected Jimmy, for decency's sake, though his eyes were beginning to shine and his fingers to tremble. Never you mind about that, retorted Danny. I like to take my time to it and fix them up nice. Eleven, did you say? Eleven, answered Jimmy breaking into a jig supposedly to keep his feet warm in reality because he could not stand quietly while danny pulled off his mittens got out and unstrapped his wallet and carefully counted out the money is that all you need he asked for an instant jimmy hesitated missing a chance to get even a few cents more meant a little shorter time at casey's that's enough i think he said i wish i'd stayed out of matrimony and then maybe I could ever have a cent of me own. You ought to be glad you haven't a woman to consume every penny you earn before it reaches your pockets, Danny McNoon. 
I had never seen Mary consume much but calico and food, Danny said dryly. Oh, it ain't so much what a woman really spins, said Jimmy peevishly, as he shoved the money into his pocket and pulled on his mittens. It's what you know she would spend if she had the chance. I did not think you'd break up on that, laughed Danny. And that was what Jimmy wanted. So long as he could set Danny laughing, he could mold him. No, but I'll break down, lamented Jimmy in sore self-pity, as he remembered the quarter sacred to the purchase of the milk pail. You go on and hurry, urged Danny. If you did not start home by seven, I'll be combing the driss fry you before morning. "'Anything I can do for you?' asked Jimmy, tightening his old red neck-scarf. "'Yes,' answered Danny. "'Do your errand and start straight home. Your teeth are chattering new. A little more exposure, and the rheumatism will be grinding ye again. You will hurry, Jimmy.' "'Sure,' cried Jimmy, ducking under a snowslide and breaking into a whistle as he turned toward the road. Danny's gaze followed Jimmy's retreating figure till he climbed the bank and was lost in the woods, and the light in his eyes was the light of love. He glanced at the sky and hurried down the river, first across to Jimmy's side to gather his rats and reset his traps, then to his own. But luck seemed to have turned, for all the rest of Danny's were full, and all of Jimmy's were empty. But as he was gone it was not necessary for Danny to slip across and fill them, as was his custom when they worked together. He would divide the rats at skinning time, so that Jimmy would have just twice as many as he, because Jimmy had a wife to support. The last trap of the line lay a little below the curve of Horseshoe Bend, and there Danny twisted the tops of the bags together, climbed the bank, and struck across Rainbow Bottom. He settled his load on his shoulders and glanced ahead to choose the shortest route. He stopped suddenly with a quick intake of breath. "'God!' he cried reverently. Who beautiful are thy works! The ice-covered Wabash circled Rainbow Bottom like a broad white frame, and inside it was a perfect picture wrought in crystal white and snow shadows. The blanket on the earth lay smoothly in even places, rose with knolls, fell with valleys, curved over prostrate logs, heaped in mounds where bushes grew thickly, and piled high in drifts where the wind blew free. In the shelter of the bottom the wind had not stripped the trees of their loads as it had those along the river. The willows, maples, and soft woods bent almost to earth with their shining branches. But the stout, stiffly upstanding trees, the oaks, elms, and cottonwoods, defied the elements to bow their proud heads, while the three mighty trunks of the great sycamore in the middle looked white as the snow and dwarfed its companions as it never had in summer. His wide-spreading branches were sharply cut against the blue background, and they tossed their frosted balls in the face of heaven. The giant of Rainbow Bottom might be broken, but it never would bend. Every clamoring vine, every weed and dried leaf wore a coat of lace-webbed frostwork. The wind swept a mist of tiny crystals through the air, and from the shelter of the deep woods across the river a cardinal whistled gaily. The bird of good cheer whistling, no doubt, on an empty crop, made Danny think of Jimmy and his unfailing fountain of mirth. Dear Jimmy, would he ever take life seriously? How good he was to tramp to town and back after five miles on the ice! He thought of Mary with almost a touch of impatience. What did the woman want that was so necessary to send a man to town after a day on the ice? 
Jimmy would be dog-tired when he got home. Danny decided to hurry and do the feeding and get in the wood before he began to skin the rats. He found walking uncertain. He plunged into unsuspected hollows and weighted drifts, so that he was panting when he reached the lane. From there he caught the gray curl of smoke against the sky from one of the two log cabins side by side at the top of the embankment, and he almost ran towards them. Mary might think they were late at the traps, or be out doing the feeding, and it would be cold for a woman. On reaching his own door he dropped the rat-bags inside, and then hurried to the yard of the other cabin. He gathered a big load of wood in his arms, and, stamping the snow from his feet, called, Open! at the door. Danny stepped inside and filled the empty box. With smarting eyes he turned to Mary, as he brushed the snow and moss from his sleeves. "'Nothing but luck to-day,' he said. "'Jimmy took eleven fine skins for his traps before he started to town, and I got five more that are his, and I hae eight of my own.' Mary looked such a dream to Danny, standing there all pink and warm and tidy in her fresh blue dress, that he blinked and smiled, half-bewildered. "'What did Jimmy go to town for?' she asked. "'Whatever it was she wanted,' answered Danny. "'What was it I wanted?' persisted Mary. "'Hey, do not tell me,' replied Danny, and the smile wavered. "'Me either,' said Mary, and she stooped and picked up her sewing. Danny went out and gently closed the door. He stood for a second on the step, forcing himself to take an inventory of the work. There were the chickens to feed and the cows to milk, feed and water but the teams must be fed and bedded, a fire in his own house made, and two dozen rats skinned, and the skins put to stretch and cure, and at the end of it all, instead of a bed and rest, there was every probability that he must drive to town after Jimmy, for Jimmy could get helpless enough to freeze in a drift on a dollar sixty-five. "'Ah, Jimmy, Jimmy,' muttered Danny. "'I wish she wadna.' And he was not thinking of himself, but of the eyes of the woman inside. So Danny did all the work and cooked his supper, because he never ate in Jimmy's cabin when Jimmy was not there. Then he skinned rats and watched the clock, because if Jimmy did not come by eleven, it meant he must drive to town and bring him home. No wonder Jimmy chilled at the trapping, when he kept his blood on fire with whiskey. At half-past ten, Danny, with scarcely half the rats finished, went out into the storm and hitched to the signal buggy. Then he tapped at Mary Malone's door, quite softly, so that he would not disturb her if she had gone to bed. She was not sleeping, however, and the loneliness of her slight figure, as she stood with the lighted room behind her, struck Danny forcibly, so that his voice trembled with pity as he said, "'Mary, I've run out of McCurin compound, just in the middle of skinning the finest bunch of rats we've taken for the traps this winter. I'm going to drive to town of some more before the stores close, and we will be back in less than an hour.' I thought I'd tell ye, so if you wanted me, you would know why I did not answer. You will not be afraid, will you? No, replied Mary. I won't be afraid. Bolt the doors and pile on plenty of wood to keep ye warm, said Danny as he turned away. Just for a minute Mary stared out into the storm. Then a gust of wind nearly swept her from her feet, and she pushed the door shut and slid the heavy bolt into place. For a little while she leaned and listened to the storm outside. She was a clean, neat, beautiful Irish woman. Her eyes were wide and blue, her cheeks pink, and her hair black and softly curling about her face and neck. 
The room in which she stood was neat as its keeper. The walls were whitewashed and covered with prints, pictures, and some small tan skins. Dried grasses and flowers filled the vases on the mantel. The floor was neatly carpeted with a striped rag carpet, and in the big open fireplace a wood fire roared. In an opposite corner stood a modern cooking stove, a pipe passing through a hole in the wall, and a door led into a sleeping room beyond. As her eyes swept the room they rested finally on a framed lithograph of the Virgin with the infant in her arms. Slowly Mary advanced, her gaze fast on the serene picture of the mother clasping her child. Before it she stood staring. Suddenly her breast began to heave, and big tears brimmed from her eyes and slid down her cheeks. "'Since ye look so wise, why don't you tell me why?' she demanded. "'Oh, if you have any mercy, tell me why.' Then before the steady look in the calm eyes, she hastily made the sign of the cross, and slipping to the floor, she laid her head on a chair and sobbed aloud. End of chapter 1 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com